I remember when the musical Hallelujah came out in the 70s. And all those songs are uh, just wonderful, a great musical. And, and all of them were great worship songs. Um, before we go into prayer, as far as we know, we don't have any hospitalized church members this evening, which is a, a blessing, and we need to be thankful for that. Um, Christian sympathy we want to express, as I mentioned at the conclusion of the 11 o'clock service today, to the family of Jack Whitehead, uh, who passed away Thursday morning. Visitation will be tomorrow from 5 to 8 at Bowen Donaldson with a private service and burial at a later date. So be remembering Jackie and her family in Jack's passing Thursday. Also to Ronnie and Ruth Sturdivant in the death of his sister, Kitty Briggs, of Tampa earlier this past week. Let's pause at this time and just and pray. I think it's one of the most important things we do in our worship service, and I know it is for these who have special needs. So let's bow together. Father, we believe in the power of prayer, and, and we see it transform lives so often, and we attribute it to your grace, to the answer of prayer which you offer and to the difference that prayer makes in our world and in our lives. We thank you that there are no hospitalized church members right now, and we pray that those who've been hospitalized recently and are home recovering will continue to do so until they're well and strong. We also pray for the Whitehead family and Jack's passing, that you would comfort them in the days ahead, that you would also be with Ronnie and Ruth Sturdivant in the death of his sister. Lord, comfort them as they travel to Tampa and, and return home. And um, all these who've lost loved ones recently just need to know that you're with them. And your presence is always more than sufficient. We thank you that whatever we go through in life, you've been there before us and you know what it's like. So when we pray and when we ask for your grace and strength, you can identify with us, and we know that, that you've experienced it too. And so for these who have special needs, for our congregation at large, for the needs around our world, we ask you to pour out your mercy. Father, our world is, is searching for answers right now, and we who have the only answer need to be bold enough to share it. So we pray for our missionaries who are serving now. We pray for our military who are protecting us. We pray for all of those who are laboring so we might be here this evening to worship you in freedom and in peace. Help us take that good news that Jesus affords and spread it abroad. In his name we pray. Amen. Our offertory hymn is another uh, number that came from that same musical that Brother Wayne mentioned, Hallelujah. It's He Touched Me. It's not in your hymnal, but I believe you will recognize it. Will you stand as we sing, He Touched Me.
Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We thank you for tonight and uh, all those here. Just uh, open our hearts as Brother Wayne brings some message and uh, just speak through him. Uh, just bless this offering that we're about to uh, give and uh, just let it be a further into your kingdom, God. And all these things in your name. Amen.
Brother Gary, I can tell this group has a good time. They do. And all the songs are toe-tapping songs. I was out here keeping beat. And I know it's fun. But I don't think I'm old enough yet to, to join. <laughs> oh, no. I shouldn't have gone there. Um, this evening, I wanted to say a little bit about the humanity of Jesus. Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. The humanity of Jesus. So often I hear people say, God can't know what I'm going through, or he doesn't know what I'm experiencing, or he doesn't care. That is so untrue. God knows you, he loves you, and he has been where you've been through Christ. He has been tempted, he has suffered, he has experienced anything you could ever experience. And yet came through sinless. Hebrews 2, 10 through 18 affirms that. And there are several passages in the New Testament, as a matter of fact, that do affirm that. And I'll explain why in a minute. Hebrews 2, verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom, by whom, all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, which is Jesus, and those who are sanctified, which is we, have all one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. For surely it is not with angels that he is concerned, but with the descendants of Abraham, with man. Therefore he had to be like his brethren in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make expiation for the sins of the people. Listen to this. For because he himself has suffered and been tempted... He is able to help those who are tempted. So is it a sin to be tempted? No. Jesus was tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation, which Jesus never did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in your wisdom and mercy, you sent your son to be born a man, fully man, and fully God, to experience what we experience, to suffer, to be tempted, yet without sin, to know what we go through. So when we cry out to you, you understand because you've been there before. Help us find our strength in you and in the knowledge that you're with us. And you know what it's like to be human because of Jesus and through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. How many of y'all made New Year's resolutions? You're not admitting them, are you? Because you're afraid you'll break them before too much longer. 
Now, I don't think as many people make as many New Year's resolutions as we used to. There was an old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon uh, where they're walking in the snow and Hobbes, Calvin's stuffed tiger, says, did you make any resolutions this New Year? And Calvin comes apart and he says, no, I'm fine the way I am. Why should I change? And think I th- In fact, I think it's time the world changes to suit me. I don't see why I should have to do all the changing around here. If the new year requires resolutions, then I say it's up to everyone else, not me. I don't need to improve. Everyone else sure does. Then he takes a breath and asks, how about you? Did you make any resolutions? And Hobbes has this, oh my, look on his face. And he says, yeah, I had resolved to be less offended by blowhard humans. But I think I've already blown it. Thankfully, we aren't... (laughs) all like Calvin. Instead, most of us are like Hobbes. We have good intentions when it comes to making changes in our lives. We intend, fully intend, to do something about it to change. But that's as far as it gets. And the road to you know where is paved with good intentions. We look at the new year. I know it's the 15th, but there's still some fearful excitement 2011 is still fresh. We wonder what 2012 is going to be like. And we know that many of those resolutions that we just recently made are soon going to be little more than a source of added guilt and frustration. We start with good intentions, but we lack the follow-through. And that's our problem. We want so much to start off the new year with a clean slate, but... Just hanging a new calendar on the wall doesn't necessarily mean a fresh start. It just means another month. So we enter the new year and we hope to leave behind all the unwanted and unnecessary baggage. But we can't wipe the slate clean. All the bad things of 2011 can and will follow us into the new year. The Bible puts it like this. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We want to do what's right, but we can't so often or we don't. We choose not to. And here's the final judgment. You and I are sinners. We want to be in control. We want to make all the right decisions. We want all the power. And every time we get it, every time we take it, every time we place ourselves in control, we blow it. And that's why Jesus came. God knew that about us. And in verse 11 and verse 17, it says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. We are the sons of God. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. For this reason, he made us like his brothers in every way in order that he might be a merciful and high priest, faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement or expiation for the sins of the people. What is expiation? Expiation just means atonement. It means payment. It means ransom. It means the price has been paid. So we don't have to be under the bondage of sin any longer. Because of that sin, a great gulf was created between us and God. But then Jesus came to bridge that gulf. And his love and sacrifice give us meaning, give us power, And through the Holy Spirit, he comes into our lives and and he can help us in the decisions and choices that we make. 
when it comes to temptation and sin. Hebrews reminds us of just how much Jesus can and will strengthen us because, listen, you cannot avoid sin on your own. If you've made mistakes in 2011 and you're vowing not to make the same ones in 2012, let me tell you, you can't do it by yourself. If there's something you want to put behind, it will require the help of Jesus. And that's why God sent him. He didn't just appear to be one of us. He really was one of us. He really was 100% human. He was 100% God and 100% human. I used to think it was 50-50. Uh, 50% human, 50% God, but no. The reality is he was all man and he was all divine at the same time together, one and the same. There were heresies that arose in early Christianity that said Jesus wasn't really human. They were called docetics. And it came from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or appear. They couldn't believe that God really became man and dwelt among us. And so they said he only seemed to be human. He only appeared to be man. Well, if you follow that through, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that if Jesus wasn't really human, then there was no real suffering on the cross. There was no real expiation or atonement or penalty made for our sins because if he wasn't really human, he didn't really suffer. And so that heresy of docetism, you see, being answered throughout the New Testament over and over again, writers in the New Testament will say, Jesus was human. He really was human. He didn't just appear to be. He was a man just like us. And he was also God. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was tempted and he suffered. And that's the good news. We don't have to face temptations alone. We can be strengthened and we can say no when we face temptation and we can turn and walk away from it. Every time we are tempted, we can choose to say no. So, so don't, we can't use rationalizations or excuses like I had no choice or it was out of my control or, or I, I couldn't say no. Yes, you can. Jesus has been where we are. He can help us through every difficulty, through every temptation through every problem in life because he knows what it's like. He went there before us and he conquered sin and death. I tell you, when it comes to temptation, I often think of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Do you remember what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife approached him and enticed him to come to her? What did Joseph do? He ran. He ran as fast as he could in the other direction. Sometimes I think that's the best thing we can do when temptation comes knocking. So often, out of curiosity, we open the door and let it come in. But the best thing we can do is turn and run out the back door and keep running. 
Jesus can help us because he's been there and he knows what it's like. He himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He faced temptations just like we face and he overcame them. He can help us overcome our temptations as well. Our lives can be different in 2012. We don't have to keep making the the same mistakes and going back to the same well of temptations that we go back to over and over again, knowing what will happen when we do so. We can walk away from them. We can run away from them and know the peace and the pleasure of God. When tempted, we can choose to run the other direction. In 2012, I don't know what decisions we'll have to face, but I know there'll be many. There'll be times of uncertainty. There was a man struggling one day with decisions, and and a friend said to him, if you're uncertain which of two paths to take, choose the one on which the shadow of the cross falls. Choose the path on which the shadow of the cross falls. That's good advice. If you seek God, you'll know which of the two choices is the right one, which one to take. Sometimes I remember in in college when asking God what I should do about something, I heard a lot of folks saying, God, I'm going to do this until you tell me it's wrong. I heard someone say one time, you know, we ought to say, God, I'm not going to do this until you tell me it's right. Jesus is our guide. He is our pioneer when it comes to choices. He has walked where we walked. He has stepped in places that we won't ever have to step in because he has gone there first. He didn't come to keep us from suffering. He came to suffer because he knew we would. He didn't just come to keep us from being afraid. He came to be afraid because he knew we would be. He didn't come to keep us from being tempted. He came to be tempted because he knew we would be. He didn't come to keep us from dying. He came to die because he knew we would be. Jesus has faced what we face and he overcame it. And he wants to help us overcome life's burdens too. Joseph Mallard Turner was an English painter. And he invited Charles Killingsley one day to his studio to see a painting he had done of a storm at sea. In admiration, Kingsley exclaimed, it's wonderful, it's it's so realistic, I have never seen a storm so lifelike. How How did you paint it? And the artist replied, I went to the coast of Holland and engaged a fisherman to take me out to sea in the next storm. Entering his boat as a storm was brewing, I asked him to tie me to the mast. Then he steered the boat into the teeth of the storm. And the storm raged with such fury, he said, at times I longed to be in the bottom of the boat where the waves would wash over me. I could not, however, because I was tied to the mast. And not only did I see the storm in its eye in raging fury, but I felt it. It blew into me. As it were, it became a part of me, he said. And after this terrible ordeal, which I will never do again, he said, I returned to my studio and I painted that that picture. That's a crazy thing to do, to paint a lifelike picture, isn't it? 
but he could never have painted such a powerful portrait had he not experienced the storm firsthand. I guess some people think God was crazy to send Jesus to live among us. But he could have never identified fully with us had he not experienced humanity firsthand. And that he did in Jesus Christ. Because he did so, you and I can never say, God, you don't know what I'm going through. You can't imagine what it's like to be human. You don't know what it's like to to feel what I'm feeling. Because God can say, oh, yes, I can. Because I've been there in my son, Jesus Christ. It's written because he himself has suffered and been tempted. He is able to help those who are tempted. So we can meet the new year, 2012, with renewed faith in Christ. He has gone before us. He's paved the way. And sometimes I think about that book, In His Steps, what it's like to to follow Jesus. and And I picture someone walking in the snow. That doesn't happen here in South Georgia very often. But you know what it's like to follow footprints that have been made in the snow and then come along behind them and put your feet exactly in theirs. Jesus has walked this way before. And he's left footprints that we can follow if we'll trust him and look to him when temptation comes knocking. We can say no. We can turn and run the other way. We don't have to make the mistakes and errors. We don't have to carry the failures of 2011 with us into the new year if we don't want to. Jesus was tempted in all ways such as we. He knows what it's like and he's able to help us. Shall we bow together? God, I I will never be able to plumb the mystery of why You sent Jesus, not just to die on the cross. That was the culmination of everything he experienced, but to live a life as a human, to step out of your throne room and live among us, to experience pain and disappointment and betrayal, to feel suffering, To be exposed to temptation and yet to turn and walk away. You did that so you would know what it's like for us here. And when we face temptations and trials and difficulties that seem impossible, we know you can be with us that you've experienced something similar. And you can show us a way out. 
because you've been there yourself before. Help us to not keep making the same mistakes we made last year. I guess Satan will be busy to expose us to new ones. But help us look to you and find in you the strength we need to say no and run in the opposite direction, safe into your arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hymn number 309, Lord, I'm Coming Home, is our invitational hymn this evening, an opportunity for you to respond publicly to God's claim on your life. Having sent Jesus to be born a human, to live and die, be crucified and raised again, affords us the opportunity to profess our faith, to rededicate our lives, to join this church. Whatever decision you have to make, if you'd like to come forward and pray and and offer to God this new year and ask him to help you live differently, live closer to him than ever before. Whatever decision.